We finished up John last week, if you weren't out on the farm. We had 90 people out on the farm. We had a great time. How many of you were out there? Yeah, okay. Good, good bunch of folks out there. And just the weather was beautiful. Luckily, it wasn't this weekend with all the smoke, but we just had a great time out there. And we finished up the book of John. If you want to hear that last message, uh, Hunter, are we up on Podbean yet for working on it? Okay, so ne- it'll be up next week. Uh, if you go to our website and go to the podcast, uh, we'll have that message on there. If you're wondering, how did it all end? You can go to the book of John chapter 21 and you'll, you'll hear that message from last week. I am starting a new series for this fall on the minor prophets. Uh, now, I call this the white pages because people, you know, they, they read along and then they, they start going, uh, what's, what's all this all about? You know, it's all out of order and, and I don't know what they're talking about and they quit. So we're going to do the 12 minor prophets and this is going to be, uh, we're not going to, most of them I will spend one Sunday on uh, but we're going to look at the 12 minor prophets. Now, uh, so, so go, to your, go, to, go to Psalms and head right, or go to Matthew and head left, okay? So that's how you find it. And so we're going to start this week with Hosea. But one of the things about the minor prophets that we need to understand is, uh, number one, they're not minors like we think of the minor leagues, right? You have the major leagues, any baseball fans out there? No? Oh, yeah. oh. Who, who's ahead? Anybody? We know, we're, not, we're not far enough into the season to know who's going to go to the World Series yet. We've got a ways to go. Yeah, they kind of stretched everything out, haven't they? So, uh, but they're not like, our minor, like the minor leagues like we think of the Eugene Emeralds or, or the, Portland Volca- or the uh, Salem Volcanoes. They just are smaller books. And so the, the, the folks who decided the order of the Bible, they just took these 12 guys, most of them, they're, they're, they have one, one subject they're talking about. Unlike Daniel, who half the book of Daniel is, is prophecy and the other half is history. And so they have one little piece that they're talking about. And they, they prophesied uh, at different times. And unfortunately, when people put the books together, they didn't put them together in chronological order. And so as you go along, you're like, going, well, where do these guys fit? So I want to show you a little chart. I don't know how well you can see. This is pretty small, okay? But hopefully it'll help you a little bit. In 921 B.C., the tribes of Israel split the northern kingdom became, was Judah and Benjamin. The other ten tribes to the, to the excuse me, the southern kingdom was, was Judah and Benjamin. The other team, ten tribes to the north split off and they became under Jeroboam. And Jeroboam was an evil, evil king. He he made his kingdom in Samaria. And you kind of, you're like going, well, I remember those Samaritans, the, the, 
The other, the Israelites and the Samaritans didn't get along, and there's a very good reason. Because he took the ten tribes out, and that's that top row. And you'll see a lot of, a lot of kings through there. And then uh, you'll see a, a red box, and they went into captivity with, uh, with Assyria while Hosea was writing his book. When Hosea was writing his book. So what, if you look at the timeline, up at the top, you'll see there's Obadiah is the first one that's going to be a, a prophet to the, nor, to the northern kingdom. And then you come along and you see three guys that are all going to prophesy to the northern kingdom, and that's Jonah, Amos, and Hosea. And they're all prophesying about the same time. Now, if you were to drop down on the lower kingdom, the, the southern kingdom, Judah, they were kind of doing this. They were on the roller coaster of obedience and disobedience. They were just going back and forth. And about the same time that Hosea was prophesying up in the, up in the north, in the south, we got a couple guys by the name of Isaiah and Micah. And they're prophesying to the southern kingdom. So you have all of these guys that some of them are, are preaching to one part of the group and some of them are preaching to another part of the group. Hosea specifically is going to be preaching to the northern kingdom. And he preaches from 655 B.C. to 615 B.C. And about that 615 B.C. is when we see the northern, or the northern tribes get taken into captivity by Assyria. They will never again, for you won't see them together again until 1948 when Israel becomes a nation once again. They never return with, as a kingdom until then. So as we see this, we see God working on a group of individuals that are pretty nasty. They, they brought in all kinds of gods. They, they, they we're going to see in just a minute that, that they totally, totally left the worship in Jerusalem because they didn't want to travel to Jerusalem. And so they created their own kind, their own temple. They created their own system of worship. And God said, that's not the way it works. You do it my way or you don't do it at all. And in 2 Kings chapter 14, it talks about the period in which uh, we see Hosea preaching. In the 15th year of Amazus, Amos, ah, whatever, the Agai, the son of Joash, the king of Judah, southern kingdom. Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned for 41 years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. 
He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, which he made in Israel sin. And, and Jeroboam was a king in 931 when the two split. Jeroboam, the, the son of Nabat, he was the evil king. Jeroboam the first, we'll call him that. He was, he was the one that took them and they never recovered. And so that's the scene that we have set for us when Hosea is chosen to talk to the northern kingdom. And in Hosea chapter 4, now that's kind of an interesting place to start. We're going to start a, a few chapters into the book. It, but chapter 4 sets the scene for us in why God is doing what he's doing. And in Hosea 4, 1 to 3, and then again in 11 to 14, what we're going to see is God's indictment of the northern kingdom. So let's turn to Hosea 4, and let's read those verses. Listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel. For the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. Because there is no faithfulness, or kindness, or knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing and deception and murder and stealing and adultery. They employ violence so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and everyone who lives in it languishes along with the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky, and also the fish of the sea disappear." Does that sound familiar to you? Could that be an, an indictment in the world today? We have no faithfulness, we have no kindness, and we have no knowledge of God. But look what he also says about, is, about the northern kingdom down in verse 11, because this is what he's talking about when we talk about what happened with Hosea. Verse 11, harlotry, wine and new wine take away the understanding. My people consult their wooden idol and their diviner's wands inform them. For the spirit of harlotry has led them astray. They have played the harlot, departed from their God. They offer sacrifices on the top of mountains and burn incense on the hills under the oak, the popular, and the terebinth, because their shade is pleasant. Therefore the daughters play the harlot, and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the harlot, or your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go apart with harlots, and offer sacrifices with temple prostitutes, so that people without understanding are ruined. That was the state of affairs that they were in. God calls them a harlot, or in other words, a prostitute. God's indictment on these people is sad. Because they have found themselves in adultery. I adultery, right? They're, they're bowing down to idols, and we have all those idols today. We have the idols of self, right? 
I'm God. I'm the one that's going to make the decision about who should live and who should die. My comfort is more important than anybody else's. My truth, you ever heard that? Well, my truth says, instead of God's truth says, you see it said they have no knowledge of God. That's pretty sad because we're that way. In 1925, we decided uh, through our court system that you could no longer teach creation without evolution. And I dare you to go into a school today and, and, and ask to preach or speak, I should say, ask to speak on creation. It won't be allowed. We have said we have lost the knowledge of God. And that's where they were. They lost the knowledge of God. And so God decides through Hosea that he's going to give an analogy. He's going to use Hosea to talk about how much he loves the northern kingdom. How much God's love is relentless for them. And quite an example it is. So let's turn to Hosea chapter 1 and see what God uses for his example to these people. And the word of the Lord came to Hosea the son of Barry during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah, and during the days of Jeroboam the son of Joash, the king of Israel. And when the Lord first spoke with Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a woman of harlotry, and have children of harlotry, for the land commits fragrant, flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. And so he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Name him Jezreel, for yet a little while, and I will punish the house of Jehu for the bloodshed of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break a bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And when she conceived again and gave birth to a daughter, and the Lord said to him, Name her Lo-Romah, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel, that I would have forgive them, would ever forgive them, but I will have compassion on the house of Judah and deliver them for the Lord their God and will not deliver them by bow, sore, battle, horses, or horsemen. And when she had weaned Lo-Ramah, she conceived and gave birth, and the Lord said, Name him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet... The number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured. And in the place where I said to them, you are not my people, I will be, it will be said of them, you are the sons of the living God. And the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will gather together and will appoint for themselves one leader, and they will go up from the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. 
Wow. Can you imagine Hosea? Poor guy. You know, Hosea grows up in this little, in the northern territory, somewhere around Ephraim. It's not, it's kind of like living in Brownsville. Not a very populated place. He probably, you know, he, he, he probably played with Gomer when, when they were kids. She was the prettiest girl on the playground growing up. And then he goes off to prophet school. And he's off at prophet school and he comes home, got, a, got his degree in, in, in being a prophet. He comes home and he's walking down the street one day and he sees Gomer. She has on the garments of a prostitute. She's hanging out in the red light district. Oh my, how the mighty have fallen. The prettiest girl in his class is now the town prostitute. Everybody knows her. The way she dresses, the way she acts, the men she's been with. When, when Gomer walks down the street, all the ladies walk to the other side because they don't want to associate with her at all, not even to give a common greeting. And Hosea one day is, is reading over his scriptures and God comes to him and says, Hosea, I want you to go marry Gomer. And he goes, what? You want me to do what? I want you to go marry Gomer. Because I'm going to give the, the people of the northern kingdom, I am going to give them an example of my unrelenting love. Because I want you to love Gomer. Gomer the prostitute that everybody hates, that has turned away from everything that her parents wanted for her, everything that society thought she should be. She's turned away from all of that to live the life of a prostitute. I want you to marry her. And being a man of God, he said, okay. And I, I imagine this was not the wedding of the season. Not everybody would, hey, can I get a ticket to the wedding? I want to be there. I imagine it was a pretty quiet wedding off to the side, right? He marries Gomer. And love is good. And they have a baby. And they name the first one Jezreel. God says, not only am I going to use your marriage to Gomer as my unrelenting love to you, to the, to the northern kingdom, I'm going to use their children. And the name Jezreel means God scatters. And he says, I'm going to scatter you guys. I'm going to scatter the northern kingdom because unlike Gomer, they're not going to come back to me. And so God does, indeed. He calls the Assyrians to come in and he takes them out of the picture. He scatters them all over. And that's what the Assyrians did. 
Now, 150 years from now, the same thing's going to happen to the southern tribe, to a young man by the name of Daniel, who's going to be taken to Babylon. Babylon did something very interesting. They brought the captives to Babylon, and they trained them in the Babylonian ways. They treated them very well, and then they sent them back. The Assyrians didn't do anything like that. The Assyrians took people and they, they would take them to this country and every place that they had and they would just scatter people all over. Because, you know, if you scatter people out, it's pretty hard for them to get back together. I mean, this is not the day of your cell phone where you can stay friends across, the, you know. You had, you had to know where somebody was to go find them to get back together. And so they scattered them. And they were also very vicious. They were, the Assyrians were known for coming in and they would, they would kill the mothers and the babies so that they couldn't reproduce. That's what the Assyrians did. I'm going to scatter you. Jezreel. God scatters. Time goes on. And another little baby is born. This one's a girl. Everybody wants to have a girl, right? Lo Ramah, no mercy. Boy, God picks out some interesting names, doesn't he? The word in Hebrew, lo, means no. No mercy. Can you imagine her going to school? Uh, yes. No mercy. What, what's your answer? Out on the playground. Hey, what's your name? No mercy. Stay away. I don't know what her character was like, but just having a name like that would be rough. Anybody ever have a kid in school that had a weird name and everybody picked on him? Right? I mean, I, I was in high school when, uh, when a guy by the name of Michael Jackson came out with a song. said, Benny! Benny, Benny and the Jets. Was that Michael or was that, that Elton John? Elton John came out. With, but I can remember, I would walk down, because that's my legal name is Benny. I would walk down the hall, and man, the, and that was, the, none of the, my friends did that to me, but all, all the people that wanted to just bug me. I'd hear that walking down the hall, but no mercy. And God says, I'm not going to show you any mercy because you haven't returned to me. And then the third one comes along. Lo ami, not my people. Now this was not God saying, not my people. It was God's people saying, you're not our God. We won't have you. Not my people. Once again, can you imagine what it was like? Not my people. Don't want to have anything to do with you. But God was demonstrating his love in that despite the fact that he was going to scatter them, that was the consequences of their sin. Despite the fact that he was not going to show any mercy to them, despite the fact that he said, not my people. Did you see the way he ends chapter 1? Yet... 
The number of sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, it will be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. That's God's love. He said, even though you have the consequences of your sin, there is going to come a time that I am once again going to call you my people. It's still future. It is going to come. Because God still has a lot for Israel to do. That's what the entire book of Revelation is about. It's what the entire thousand year reign of Christ is about. is restoring Israel to its glory. But this story doesn't end there. They've been married for a while. They got three kids and things get kind of rough. The Gomer's no longer satisfied with the salary of a, of a prophet. She can't go out and buy the pretty clothes that she bought when she was a prostitute. She can't go down to Bed Bath & Beyond, even if you could find one now. She couldn't go, back, go there and buy the bath bombs that she liked or, or Chanel Number no. 5. You know, she had to be satisfied with Avon. I knew some of you would get that joke. She got dissatisfied. She said, oh, I want all of those pretty things I had back then. And one day, she walks out the door and she heads down the street to the red light district. Look at Look with me at Hosea 2, 5 to 7. For their mother had played the harlot. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. But God has something else to say about it. Therefore, behold, I will hedge her up, hedge up her way with thorns. I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She will pursue her lovers, but she will not overtake them. She will seek them, but will not find them. And then she will say, I will go back to my first husband, for it was better for me than it is now. She goes back to being a prostitute. Oh, the grass is always greener on the other side, isn't it? Look how much fun the world is having. But I've got news for you. God will not make it easy for you to run from him. Did you notice? It says he hedged her about with thorns. He blocked her from going the places she wanted to go. She, she made people turn against her. Until she came to a point where I guess the grass isn't greener outside of God's will. Because God says what? What does, what does Psalms 23 tell us about the good shepherd? Where does he take us? He takes us into green pastures. 
He leads us beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. She had none of that. And if you run from God, he's not going to say, oh, yes, run away, run away. Have a good time. He's going to say, you know what? I love you too much to allow you to run from me. And you can try running. But God says, hey, here's a, here's a nice little batch of blackberry bushes you've got to crawl through if you want to run from me. You ever, you ever fall into the blackberry bushes? We used to, we used to pick blackberry bushes. We'd take, a, we'd take a two by six, about 12 feet long, and we'd lay them over into the blackberry bushes because that's where the big ones were always way inside. But you better have good balance. Because if you're about 10 feet up that 12-foot board and you go sideways, it's not fun. (laughs) Hedged her about with the thorn bushes, running from God. Galatians tells us, in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. God loves us too much. He will not allow us to run from Him without there being consequences. And he says, you want to sow wild oats? You're going to reap Canadian thistles. (laughs) Revelation chapter 3, 19 says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Those whom I love, I don't know about you, but I remember my daddy saying, this is going to hurt you more than it hurts me. And then he applied the the belt of wisdom to the seat of knowledge. (laughs) And I was kind of like going, really? But there wasn't one time that my daddy didn't spank me, that he didn't pull me up in his arms and say, I love you. I wouldn't do it if I didn't love you. Well, as we look at what happens here, God does an amazing thing. In chapter 2, he says, I want you to send your kids. I want you to send the three kids to go and ask mommy to come home. And she refuses Can you imagine refusing your three children? Mom, come home. We're tired of eating ramen. (laughs) Mom, come home. We love you. She refuses. She is so bound into her sin. But God, God's unrelenting love chases her down in Hosea 2, 14 to 16. It says, therefore, I will allure her. That term is I will draw her back to me. I will win her back to me, bring her into the wilderness. I will speak kindly to her. Then I will give her vineyards 
from there and the valley of Acre as a door of hope. And she will sing there as in the days of her youth, as the days when she came up from the land of Egypt. I will come about in that day, declares the Lord, that you will call me Ishi and will no longer call me Bali. Ishi's, the term for Ishi is husband. The term for Bali is master. He says, you'll once again call me husband. God reaches out and he says, come on back. Notice he says, it's a day of hope. We, had a day, we have a day of hope coming up, don't we? He gives her hope. He is the door of hope. And you'll once again sing a song. You'll sing a song of restoration. You see, God's love is unrelenting. He he continues to to come after us, trying to draw us back to him. I want you to have everything, the abundant life that I've meant for you to have. Just come home. Just come home. And his love is unrelenting. And in chapter 3 of Hosea, he sends Hosea back. Now Hosea had every right to divorce her. He could have written that, that writ of divorce and be done. But God says, no. I want you to go back and redeem her. Because see, running from God had ruined her. She wasn't even any good as a prostitute anymore. And she ends up on the slave auction. She can no longer pay her debts. And so she's handed off to be sold. Hosea 3, 1 through 3 says, And the Lord said to me, said to Hosea, Go again, love a woman who is loved by her husband. Yet an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. So I, brought, I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. And then I said to her, you shall stay with me for many days and you shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man so that I will be also, so I will also be towards you. He goes and takes her back, and I, 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 I want you to understand how wrecked she was because she ran away from God. In Exodus 22, 2132, it tells us that the price of a slave is 30 shekels. How much did he pay for her? 15 shekels and a little bit of grain. She wasn't even worth the cost of a slave. And he buys her back. And he loves her. And he takes her back. 
Isn't that a wonderful scene of somebody else? Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and what? The forgiveness of sin. She was pretty messed up. She was pretty ruined by the world. But guess who loved her? Guess who rescued her? Guess who redeemed her? Guess who forgave her? God did. Just as Hosea did with Gomer, God does with us. He does not allow us to stay out in sin, but his relentless love draws us back and draws us back and draws us back. And you say, well, I'm not out there in sin. I'm not out there playing the prostitute. I'm not out there doing all of these terrible things. How many times during the day are we unfaithful to God? How many times during the day do we forget his kindness? How many times during the day do we forget the knowledge of God? That's us. That's where we live. We forget. We're unfaithful. And yet, he loves us and he forgives us. First John 1, 9 is something that we can come to and say he forgives us our sins, cleans us up, takes care of all those stickers that are stuck into us from the briar patch. He does that for us because he has an unrelenting love for us. I want you to look at Hosea chapter 6, 1 to 3. Come. He could have stopped there and just said, come. But what would we have done? We would have come in our own strength. Look what he says. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days and he will raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. That's Oregon right there, isn't it? <laughs> the rain's going to come. We've been in a dry season for a long time, but I've got news for you. The rain's going to come. The sun will rise tomorrow morning. Hold on, my child. Joy comes. When? In the morning. Weeping only lasts for the night. We just have to hold on. We need to come back to him. We need to return to him. 
And he's calling us to do just that. He says, I'll heal you. I will patch up your wounds. I will revive you. But you have to return to me. A little bit ago, I read this verse. For those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Now, the next verse most of us talk about as a verse of salvation. But I want you to understand, these two verses go together. Let's read them together. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. See how they go together? When we come back and repent, God is gently standing at the door and saying, open up. Open up. I want to come in. I want to sit down at your table. I want to dine with you. I want to have supper with you. I want to feed you from the manna of heaven. I want you to drink from the cup of living water that never runs dry. That's what God wants to do for us. He wants to revive us. He wants to restore us. He wants to bring us back to him. But we have to be willing to do what? Repent. We have to come back. He says in verse, chapter 6, verse 1, come, let us return to the Lord. And then we get what we read back in chapter 1. You are the sons of the living God. Amen. Hosea. We've played the prostitute. We have been unfaithful. We've been unkind. And we have forgot the knowledge of God. But we can return. And he will buy us back from the very people who want to own us. He bought bought us back. He bought us with a price on the cross. And as we come to communion, I want you to think about how big that price was. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The only way to pay for our sin was through the blood on the cross. It was only through the perfect life and perfect death of our Savior that we could come and have eternal life. That last night before he was killed, he sat with his disciples in the upper room, looking forward, as we we saw several Sundays ago, looking forward to that death on the cross, looking forward to what it would be like to hang crucified before his mother. And all the world, and all the sins of the world were placed upon his shoulders.